0: Welcome to the MarTech
1: Podcast. Today, we're going to try out a new podcast format we're calling our B2B Influencers franchise. Joining me is Brian Barletta, who is the founder of the Sounds Profitable podcast, newsletter, and media property, which is a company focused on breaking down the technical details of the podcast advertising space to make it accessible for everyone. And today, Brian and I are going to discuss how he and I got into the B2B influencer business. All right, here's the first ever edition of B2B Influencers on the MarTech Podcast with Brian Barletta from Sounds Profitable. Brian, welcome to the first ever episode of B2B Influencers
2: on the MarTech Podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm real excited about this.
1: You know, I feel like this podcast franchise, I don't even know what to call this that we're doing. This is <laughs> a dress rehearsal that we're publishing for the whole world But to get ready for this episode, we did no planning, but we did wear the same colored shirt, so (laughs) I feel like we're ready.
2: means we're in sync.
1: We're ready to go. Look, our our idea here is that by some sort of career happen circumstance, you and I both decided that we were going to become independent media creators and start businesses that we've done a moderately good job at building an audience And monetizing our content, we feel like we both get lots of questions about how did you do that? What's it like to run that business? And so we wanted to a share our stories, but also potentially down the road, if we keep doing this, uh, meet other B2B influencers and talk to them about how they run their business. So I don't necessarily want to host do you who's running the show here?
2: Well, I mean, I'll dig in. The thing I want to say the most is that I don't think a lot of people think about B2B influencers as as such like a viable path for a lot of things, right? We think about So much in advertising is direct to consumer. We think about subscriptions and models and charging all these individuals here. But like B2B to me was so freeing because it said, hey, there are people that should pay to support this content or help me build it into a company. And those people aren't necessarily the individuals, but other companies. And I can talk about these subject matters that mean something to them. So I guess my first question to you is, from your past experience to this one, how did you switch your mindset from trying to charge like individuals or trying to grow that way to trying to target companies and the trickle down effect of getting their audience and their employees to follow along with you? I guess the answer is I
1: I didn't try. And the story for me goes, I was working, running the marketing department at B2C Startups And I got tired of the racket of the founder has all the equity and imparts all of the judgment and pressure downwards towards the team to work more hours and build up the team. So hopefully he could have an exit and the venture capitalists also would benefit. And maybe there would be some trickle over value for me. And I was taking what I thought was deferred compensation to work longer hours with the hope of a return down the road. And so the risk profile, look, that's great for some people. I don't want to crap on the startup market altogether. But, you know, at some point for me, as I was growing my family, that just didn't make sense. So I got tired of the trajectory of my career So I stepped away and said, I'm going to do something different. And I took on some short-term work. And as it turns out, my network led me to doing B2B consulting, helping primarily B2B SaaS companies that were early stage and growth companies figure out some of the brand challenges that I was working on when I was focusing on the consumer market. And as that was happening, I went through systematically all of my 1,500 LinkedIn connections saying, hey, Person that I used to work with. I'm now a marketing consultant doing brand development and marketing strategy. You know, let's chat. And eventually that drummed up enough business for me to run a six figure consulting practice that was enough to pay the bills. And, you know, I was happy doing what I was doing, but I found the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow where I ran into the end of the path. I didn't have any more LinkedIn connections to then go try to do business development. So I started the Martech podcast as a tool to reach out to what I thought were going to be my prospects for the consulting practice. And I never thought that I was going to be selling to B2B enterprises or or building influence. The idea that I was going to grow an audience was not what I was focused on. I was focused on who was I going to interview? How do I have a great conversation with them? How do I get the truth out of them and they would see that as a valuable service and hire me as a consultant? And then the audience just kind of was an afterthought. So my mindset going into becoming an independent creator was more lead generation for professional services than it was, I need to build an audience. How's that going to work?
2: So I love that because I think that the B2B space, there are so many people who are just like, I'm a B2B influencer. And when they say that and they don't have like a a background, they haven't, let's say struggled, right? Or failed or however you want to put it. They haven't batted their head against the wall in frustration at an idea that they just couldn't like suss out. They couldn't drive themselves and decided to go on it on their own. Those B2B influencers aren't great. I just don't love when they put their name on it and they push that perspective. The people who are B2B influencers are the people who've been through the hardships and tried it. Two questions for you there. If you would have stopped at your exact salary range, how many less hours would you have worked?
1: You know, I was working probably 20 billable hours a week, but most of what I was doing, I I sort of learned the lesson early that billing on an hourly rate as a consultant wasn't the model that I wanted to charge for. What I found to be the most rewarding, and this is probably just based on personality type I found the project work to be more rewarding. I'm going to do a $25,000 brand retainer for you, and I'm going to interview people in your company and interview people that are your prospects and understand the overlap before them and try to describe your brand to you through my eyes. And then companies would take that work and adopt it themselves. I was helping them develop their brands. I was doing brand development. And out of that would be me understanding some of the challenges in their business. And then I would go and do what I would call marketing strategy, which was, I now understand your brand. You should go advertise in this marketing channel. I know a bunch of consultants. I could prop up this channel for you so you can evaluate it without having to staff it. I was doing that about 20 to 30 hours a week. I was doing 10 hours of business development and I had 10 hours of, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself time. And this is before I had kids. So it was either exercise or building web pages for my business. And eventually it turned into building content. And that's where the MarTech podcast came from.
2: I like the project work part because that's really strong, right? I think what you're seeing here too is not only were you someone who worked in the trenches and decided to go at it alone, but you're also someone who had a little bit of a sales uh, pressure to it, right? Like you were comfortable with that. Selling sucks. Like I enjoy it and I have fun with it sometimes, but like a no will sometimes flavor my entire week. I will pitch somebody something and it'll be so like a home run and they'll say no to it. And then every other question or every other time someone, one of my other clients says something to me that week, they're like, hey, do you have time to talk? I'm just like, oh shit, this is it. This is when they're gonna can me or something like that because I'm just not built for it. But to get to that point, you had to stop saying, hey, this is what my hourly rate is. And you had to say, hey, here's what the project is. How did you get through the first no's, whether it's hourly or the transition of product? And how did you know to stick with that?
1: My first job out of college was selling AT&T phone service for landlines to customers that were paying less using Verizon services. And I was doing it door-to-door pre-cell phones. Actually, not pre-cell phones, but pre-smartphones. I'm not that old. (laughs) Going into small businesses in a suit in smaller towns in Massachusetts and trying to sell them that they should be paying more for phone services taught me very quickly that in sales, you need to not take the nose personally. So I had some experience at the beginning of my career, not only understanding how to do sales, but also understanding the numbers game and to not take it personally. I ended up being pretty successful at multi-level marketing, door-to-door sales. It's not exactly an MLM, but the company I was working for was right on the border. And eventually I started a real career and, and got back into the practice of marketing, which I went to college for and down the road became a real marketer. But having that experience early on helped me. And I think I'll jump in here and I'll put my host hat on for a second. What I'm hearing in myself as you're talking and the questions that you're leading to Get me into something that I think is useful for the listeners is what's the profile for somebody that becomes a successful B2B influencer that is independent like you and I? And if I had to give the answer to what are the traits that you need, it you've highlighted already subject matter expertise. You're not just talking about something you haven't done. You actually know what you're talking about. Hopefully that's the case. Number two is the willingness to be independent and take on the risk for yourself. And three, the ability to do product marketing and sales yourself. Like As an independent consultant, whether it was consulting or whether it was the media business that I run, I do all of my own ad sales. I had to create the content. I had to figure out how to publish it and promote it. So now I'm a content producer. I'm a marketer. I have to do the ad sales. So I'm an SDR. I'm an AE. You know, there's like six or seven different roles that I could probably add onto this list. And that's what life is like as an independent media producer. I'm going to turn the tables here. I want to hear
2: your story. So how did you get into being an independent media producer? I was working at Megaphone. I was the senior product manager of data and monetization. So I've had a strong career, 13 years at the time in ad tech, in product management or sales engineer. And it was very fun because my background wasn't that. I, I went to school for five years and dropped out without a college degree to be a history teacher because I just didn't want to do it. But I loved technology. I loved advertising. I loved mobile devices. I got into that space, transitioned into podcasting. And then I just realized I was tired of arguing. I was tired of believing in what I believed in and it just not working out. My bosses didn't want to align with it. They didn't want my feedback. They wanted me to like toe the line. And I had enough background and experience that said, I just can't do this anymore. So I started writing because I was like, well, let's see how these ideas resonate. Maybe maybe this will just be how I keep in people's mind as I interview for new roles. And what happened was these things that I was saying inside of a company that were being dismissed because ultimately they didn't help move the needle, or they weren't going to make the company better overall on a financial level, but like on a structural and integrity and growth of the industry level, they definitely would. When I'm talking about them as an independent and a news source points to them, well, everybody can rally around it. So I started creating that content. And then I said, why don't I try it as a newsletter?
1: That's one of the reasons why I think people like us that are independent media creators are now actually being given some attention or building some credibility in the industry is the actual word independence, right? You are not influenced by trying to sell an individual product or service. Sure, we work for sponsors, but at the end of the day, the content that we're creating has our name, our face, our voice, and our stamp on it. And I think that when people are looking for what voice in an industry can they turn to to understand how to make sense of everything that's happening, whether it's MarTech, whether it's search engine marketing, in your case, whether it's podcasting, they're looking for somebody who isn't influenced by a brand, a set of venture capitalists, their own career trajectory. They're looking for somebody who's going to independently give the news probably the same thing that's happening in the actual media industry as opposed to the B2B media industry as well.
2: Yeah. But it's powerful because people like us have hands-on experience. I remember I was at Disney one time and I'm standing in line and I had a conversation with a young kid. He was in high school. And I was like, oh, what are you interested in? He's like, I want to be an entrepreneur. And I almost threw up in that situation because I'm looking at this kid who's being told that that's like a career choice. That's cool. What's your idea? What are you going to build? What do you, what's your experience that you're improving of? What's the problem that you're going to solve? And we have this entire generation of people right now who are like, I want to be independent. And it's like, awesome. What industry did you learn from? What shitty job did you have that you burned yourself against and needed to find a better way to execute your vision that wasn't available at another job. I think that that's the big thing here is that the independence is is good, right? You get independent news reporting on that, being impartial or showing your perspective from another industry, but even more so with what we do with the B2B side, that every tool I talk about, I've logged into. I've flighted ads. I still flight ads. I still make sure I understand how this tech works or I don't want to talk about it.
1: It's funny. I think about the entrepreneur's dilemma or the entrepreneur's curse. It's like, I can't stop... Thinking about how to solve this problem. So, I'm going to do something that's new and different. And honestly, often that's challenging, painful, very difficult. And most entrepreneurs fail. And the true ones figure out how to either run through a brick wall or how to build something that goes above or around it. The independent media creators, I think, have a similar dilemma. There's an inappropriate term that I'm going to say, but everybody cover your ears or or pause this if your kids are listening FTSOC. Do you know what FTSOC is? I don't. It's the point that you hit when you're at your other job or you can't take anymore. It stands for fuck this shit (laughs) o'clock. And and I think that like a lot of the independent media creators didn't sit down and say, I've got this logical planned out career and you know what I'm going to do. I'm going to give it all up to start a podcast. And in two years from now, I'm going to hopefully be able to sell some ads like no. There's a level of frustration with the politics and the organizational structure like independent is wonderful because you are your own entity and people can believe and trust and understand that you are not influenced. But with that independence that comes from independent media creators sometimes means you didn't do a great job playing in the sandbox with the rest of the team. And I don't think that that's something that's probably too far off for people like us who end up running their own independent media businesses.
2: I agree with that. I think that you need to have some risk. You need to be fed up with something. And that choice to do your own thing has to cost you something. There's risk with it, right? I looked at my wife at one point and I said, hey, I think this has potential to be a business. I don't think this is a stopgap anymore. I think that I can make this into not just money for me, but like an actual business. I can employ people. I can grow the brand. There's so many different avenues I can explore. But I had to look at her and say, we're going to need to dip into savings if it doesn't go through. We can figure out what that point is where I have to say, look, I dipped in too much. Time to go get a nine to five. But you need to have that runway. The J-O-B. Yeah, right. You got to create that noose. You got to have that pressure. I can't imagine if I like exited a company and then was just like, oh, I guess I'll create something new. I'm positive that would suck. I cannot imagine being in like the prime situation. Everything's great. My kids are perfect. The world is going around me. I'm back at the gym and just being like, I have an idea and all the time in the world and it being successful. If there are people like that, I'd love to meet them and distill that down. But I really think a lot of the success we're seeing in this independent space is just like, I need to move and I have to risk everything to do it.
1: A special thanks to our presenting sponsor, Mutinex. All right. So there's a couple of things I want to talk about before we drag on for too long. (laughs) And again, everybody, we're figuring out what the B2B Influencers Podcast is. A little bit on the fly here. I want to talk, we've talked a little bit about the mindset and some of the characteristics of B2B Influencers, some of our experiences. Let's talk about the good and the bad of running an independent media agency. And let's trade off. Let's do one good thing and then one bad thing. Let's start with your first. What is the best thing about running an independent media business?
2: I like how I get to be on the spot first with answering it. You know what? I didn't have to really consult with anybody about not working on Fridays anymore.
1: You're doing four days a week. I am
2: doing four days a week.
1: See, I don't do meetings on Fridays, right? My calendar is blocked off for a long run from 10 o'clock to 11 or 12 if I get motivated to go and get basically, hopefully a week's worth of running in and then I work the second half of the day but there's no meetings, that's my project day. That's how I have no work Fridays basically.
2: I mean, I spend the morning with my kids and we go out for breakfast and things like that and I do a lot of walks and listening to podcasts and catching up on the news and whatnot. I would say I still consume work related things, I still jot down notes and outlines but I don't take meetings, I don't sell hours on those days or anything like that. I'm borderline ready to put up an out of office On those days, but I think it would cause more problems, but I'm not in my office. Like I'll bring my iPad, we'll go to a coffee shop, but it's mine. And if I want to bring the kids to a park, if I want to sleep in late, if I want to do whatever, that's been the best thing, right? Just not feeling like I owe anybody on that.
1: What is this thing you call sleep in late? <laughs> I have two children under five. It does not register for me. You don't have to answer that. Give me the the worst thing about being a independent B2B media influencer.
2: Selling and creating at the same time is really difficult because I think my biggest thing is I want to help everybody, but there's times where my sales goals get in front of that. So part of Sounds Profitable Sponsorship, right? The logos, we have 65 sponsors at this point. It's really fantastic. I'm so excited about that. And it's about the association growth of content that can better the whole industry. I'm not highlighting any one company. I'm not putting down anything. There's no benefit to that. I'm talking about things we all need to improve together and things that a bunch of people do well that more people need to do and educating people, sharing all that info. So the core content, it's the value of being associated is really powerful there. But the other side of it is that because it's been two years, I mean, it's 18 months as we record this, that my company's existed. Pandemic's about not that much older than my company, which is kind of crazy. So I filled a gap where we weren't having expos and we weren't having in-person meetings. And I offer consulting included in my sponsorship. And so for me, I have calls with everybody. And in that first half an hour of a call with somebody new, somebody who's not a sponsor, I just want to hear about them. I wanna talk all about what they do. I wanna provide as many introductions to other people that I know in the space that could benefit from hearing from them or my sponsors who could use their services or talents. But the problem is, is when I set a goal in my head sometimes and I think about that goal more than I think about my overall goal of helping people, sometimes I'll kick off the call with talking about what sponsorship is instead of ending the call with, hey, this was really great. I'd love to stay in touch. I wanna work with you more. By the way, if you're interested, we have sponsorship. When I do it that way, I'm happier, even if they say no, and they tend to be way more interested in it because we've proven value. But if I wake up and I was like, I lost two sponsors, really need to reclaim that. And I need to grab two more to hit growth. That's really important for me this month because I want to hit some certain goals. Sometimes the worst part is, is just being too many things and letting one seep into the other.
1: I'll go with my hardest challenge of the business that I'm running. It's really challenging. And I mentioned before, there's five different hats that I feel like I'm wearing on any given day. And so a lot of it, you know, the calendar management and part of this is like, I run an independent media business. It is my company. I am the only employee. There's somewhere between 12 to 15 people that work on my media properties spread across the globe. So that means that I'm still managing a team. I'm still the breadwinner, but I'm also the content creator. So, you know, I'll sit down on a given Tuesday afternoon and my calendar will be MarTech podcast, Voices of Search podcast, half an hour break, sales call, sales call, team meeting, another podcast. My wife needs me to go do something. And all of a sudden my day is over. It's five o'clock. I have to go home and help be around my kids. And I will sit back and be like, I didn't get any of the stuff that I wanted to do done today to grow my business because I was serving as the operator. I had to do the ad sales and produce the content. And so I always feel this push and pull of having the output of content and then the need to sort of have a creative output and just honestly fill the content calendar for the podcasts with, here's the next thing I want to build, because at heart, I'm an entrepreneur, and I want to go build the new ad process, or the job wreck to go hire somebody to help us do our web developer or whatever it is. So to me, there's always this balance of, if you have five jobs, you can do everything your way, set up the infrastructure the way you want to do it, and it's your show. But the problem is, then you got to go not only build the boat, but you have to row it as well.
2: That's incredibly accurate. And then the hard part there that I want to echo off of is me and you are at a growth point where it's valuable to evaluate, are we the center of our company and should we be the only face or should we pull in more talent, right? Like Kayla Lippmann just joined me on the podcast and I'm so excited to have her there and on the newsletter too. And she's going to write once a month. And I removed, it said, sounds profitable with Brian Barletta on everything. And now it just says, sounds profitable. And my immediate fear is, oh no. Was I the draw or was it the media? Do people see through and see, hey, Brian curated this in the sense that Brian found the person to cover it and has input into what they're writing and that gets value. And that's scary because as I do step away, it's very interesting. I get credit for their work. And I was like, oh, awesome. This is double-edged sword. I want to be associated with it and get the notoriety, but also I want to make sure I'm not stealing from them.
1: I always think that your business is bigger, better, stronger and faster than mine It's never a competition, but you're winning. (laughs) But I do think that we're sort of facing some similar challenges in the sense of I have two popular podcasts and we're growing a third show and we have a sponsorship model that backs all three of them. So we've basically built this process to make it easy to spit out content. And now I'm starting to test, hey, how do I create more content for my organization without actually having to be the person doing the creative output? How do we bring on new hosts? How do we manage guest hosts? How do we bring new podcasts on with somebody else and use our infrastructure? And so we are going through this process now of rebranding. The company was Ben J. Shap LLC forever because it was my consulting practice and what I was selling was me. Yep, I did something smart. I think I'm going to pat myself on the back here. (laughs) I intentionally never put my name or my face on the logos or the description of the podcast. It was always the MarTech podcast. It was never the MarTech podcast by Ben Shapiro. Part of that is because there's a political podcaster that shares the same name, (laughs) and I didn't want to put his name on my stuff. Part of it was, at some point, I wanted to grow this beyond just my output. And so hopefully I had some foresight to say, okay, at some point, I don't necessarily want to be the only person hosting. And now we're at this point where we're moving from the company being Ben J. Shap LLC, to I Hear Everything, which is some sort of a content as a service, maybe a consulting, maybe a media brand maybe a network of some sort, like it's a hodgepodge of all of these things that how we define it to be discovered. But we're going through this point where like we're past, how do I make a podcast, make it profitable and have it pay the rent? And now it's how do I actually grow a media business? And it sounds like you are going through some of the same growing pains or or facing the same challenges that I am. So tell us about those.
2: Well, the coolest part about it, honestly, that we're both going to get to experience is that. As we're growing it like this, we get to look at people in the space who should be influencers. People that are distant enough from a major company that they can keep with the goal of what our media brand is and not jeopardize it, right? Like, I love all of the major hosting platforms and tech companies, but I there are some brilliant people at Spotify that I realistically could never have run something on Sounds Profitable. They couldn't do a monthly contribution because by being part of Spotify, they're too associated. But there are people that are just not quite ready to make that jump. They're at a company that doesn't pull them down or too far away from what my goals are and jeopardize that unique independentness that should know that their opinions matter. People respect them. And hey, I can give you a little bit of payment to take that jump. I can show you and I can encourage you. So I'm finding all these people that I'm just like, hey, you absolutely are smarter than me. You cover subject matter that people need to know about. The risk is just not within your tolerance. Let me help you. And I'm getting to find those people and put money in their hands or help them become their own consultants and their own B2B marketers. And that's super exciting. That's what makes it not scary to go from the Brian Barletta show effectively to a media brand. And that's why when someone says, well, what's going to be the difference between Sounds Profitable as a media brand and Ad Age, Ad Week, Ad Monsters, and Forbes, I say, well, the ethics behind not taking pay to play for article and content writing, but also because I'm just going to find thought leaders that you need to listen to, not ones that are paying to be listened to.
1: My answer would have been, that's eh, it's fine if we're identical to Forbes, as long as we're the same size and just profitable, and I own 100% of the equity of the company. That sounds like a pretty good deal to me. Just call me a red-blooded American capitalist, but I don't know. I would be the founder of Forbes. I think that sounds
2: like a pretty good deal. I could talk trash about it all day long. I don't think they're going to be too worried about it, but I think right now- People are hungry for content that's original and helps them with their job and their career. And there are smart people out there that are just not ready to take that risk on their own. So my excitement about the media company is I get to empower more people to matter.
1: All right, let's land the plane here. We need some sort of hook on the end. We haven't really thought about how we're going to get out of these podcasts. Do you want to give a tip for somebody who is already an influencer, somebody who's thinking about being an influencer? What, What do we do that's going to provide value to people that are listening to this podcast?
2: Yeah, I think that we should talk about podcasts for a second there. You touched on something. You built your podcast. Can you say again why you originally built your podcast? Yeah, it was originally was
1: for lead gen for my consulting practice, and it turned into a media business built on a sponsorship model that is not just selling CPMs ads. We do advertorial content host red advertising, we do retargeting of our listeners, so we're blending the best of awareness drivers in podcasting with performance marketing.
2: So then I wanna give two takeaways related to that. If you're looking to be a B2B influencer, you should have a podcast and it should be pretty and should have pretty marketing materials that go with it because a podcast is a great way to get a prospective client available from media they're creating something with you. your name and their name, your company and their company are in the same piece of media. You give them takeaways, their marketing team is gonna share it. Everybody is hungry to share original content that makes their company look better. So you get free marketing there, And that's the first part, make sure it looks pretty, make sure it sounds good and make sure you're talking to the right people because it doesn't matter if 10 people listen to your podcast. If that person that you wanna sell to comes on your podcast and you have a solid connection with them and you make them look and feel cool, you can probably sell your services to them and they can worry about getting your message out there. You're an independent who elevated how they look and that's something that they can't easily buy.
1: In any organic growth business, I always say that there are four ways to grow your audience. Organic, viral, paid partnerships. Organic. You're going to take advantage of the search engines and just create as much content as you can and get the right titles out there. Viral. The people that you're working with to produce the content are going to share it for you and help you build your audience. Paid. You're going to pay money to promote your content through social media primarily, but there are other channels as well. partnerships. You're going to work with other people that are in your industry to start doing collaborations, to start sharing content, to just work together and be a member of the community, be a member of the overall niche. And that's the way that if you do that over time, you're going to start building your own brand and your own audience. All right, Brian, those are my last tips. Anything else you want to add before we wrap up our first episode of B2B Influencers?
2: Yeah. B2B influencers shouldn't take CPM advertisements. And we'll talk more about that next time.
1: Next episode, why CPM advertisements suck. All right, Brian, great to connect. And thanks again for going through this experiment with me. Thank you. All right. And that wraps up this episode of B2B influencers on the Martech podcast. Thanks for listening to my conversation with Brian Barletta, the founder of Sounds Profitable. If you'd like to get in touch with Brian, you can find a link to his LinkedIn profile in our show notes. You can contact him on Twitter. His handle is Brian Barletta, B-R-Y-A-N-B-A-R-L-E-T-T-A. Or you can visit his website, which is soundsprofitable.com. We'd also love your feedback on this episode. It's our first time doing this. We're not sure if we're going to keep this as part of the MarTech podcast, whether we're going to spin it out into its own feed. So if you thought that this was useful, if you feel like you want to hear more B2B influencers, reach out to Brian. I just read his contact information. You could also reach out to me. My handle is MarTechPod on this podcast, or you could reach out to me personally at Ben J. Shap. That's on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And of course, if you haven't subscribed yet and you want a daily stream of marketing and technology knowledge, You can always subscribe to this feed. We publish content every day during the year. So hit the subscribe button in your podcast app, and we'll be back in your feed tomorrow morning with more MarTech content. All right, that's it for today. But until next time, Brian, we should come up with a new tagline. I normally say my advice is to focus on keeping the customer happy. What's our tagline
2: for the B2B influencers? Figure out what frustrates you at your job and fix it.
1: Okay, until next time... If it's broken, you can fix it.